Hey guys, it's Casey. I'm coming at you to let you know something awesome. We might be in the middle of the Spring Collective, and you might be testing sooner than we end, but guess what? We have one-month, two-month, and four-month video bundle options that include all 20 of our live classes recorded. We cover the entire task list, and it is real, raw, and relatable, just like the podcast. So go and sign up for one of our video bundles. You can find them at www.studynotesaba.com. And we'll see you there. Love you, mean it. Study notes, ABA. ABA in a little X, write it away. It's behavior, bitches. Hey guys, it's Liat. And Casey. And we are here with episode double eight. T8. I mean, double eight, which makes it 88. Casey, <laughs> what rhyme do you have for us today? Already cracking the guests up. I love it. All right. My rhyme today is good for the show. I think it's ABA in schools is great. Yeah. Okay. Woo. yeah. Casey. Woo. I feel like we need some applause. I was going to say no feedback. Cool. Bump bump. <laughs> All right, guys, today's episode, I think a lot of people are going to find really useful and interesting, whether you are a BCBA and or you are an RBT or you're a BCBA who's working in a clinic wondering about working in schools or the different places you could go with ABA. This is probably the most commonly asked question I get, whether people are asking, you know, can I only get my supervision in a clinic? As a BCBA, can I only work um, in a clinic or in-home or for school district directly? And the answer is here today. So I hope that built the MO and all of you guys are hot and bothered to hear the answer. But before we get started, if you know, you know that we love reinforcement. And so Casey is going to pair ourselves with some reinforcement. This gets us excited every time. Casey, what do you have for us today? All right, this one's coming from Katie Swift, 2015. Best ever is the title. This spoke to my heart, not only because you had someone from Michigan, but because it reaffirms that I am in the right program and we need to change the mindset around BCBAs and ABA. Plus, Liat, I am a SPED teacher and I totally agree. It's so much more than I ever knew what I was getting myself into. So much more than positive and negative reinforcement. Love it. I believe she's referring to the episode with Krista Clancy, the director from Wayne State University. Um, that was a great episode. So if you haven't listened, head over and listen to that. And thank you, Katie, for that review. Oh, my God, Katie. Thank you so much for that review. This is so exciting getting all your reviews. You guys know where to leave them. We get super, super happy. If you have something nice to share, please also share your review with five stars. And if you don't have five stars to give us, please don't leave a review at all. No offense. Um, well, we'll definitely take five stars. All right, today's guest, there's a great energy here. And when we met them with our pre-interview, by the way, guys, believe it or not, Casey and I are organized AF and meet with every guest beforehand for you guys to make sure that we have some flow here. Otherwise, it might be a little bit chaotic. And we don't script it all out. We kind of see when it's going to flow naturally. And with these people, it will definitely flow naturally. But Casey, dun, dun, dun. Can you tell us who we have on today? I was going to read their long bios, but because there's 
two people here. I'm just going to give a quick intro. So Maria had reached out, I think it was email about maybe doing an episode about ABA in public schools, which we have not done in 88 episodes. So I was like, heck yes. So Chad and Maria, they both work at Evidence-Based Classroom Solutions. Um, They provide consultation, training, and professional development and direct services to school districts. Um, Chad Honeycutt is a licensed and board-certified behavior analyst, and he's the chief operating officer of Evidence-Based Classroom Solutions. So he's number one. Well, not number one, like better than Maria, but like the first person I'm introducing. And then we have Maria, I can't pronounce, De Lucente. I'd say ask Chad because oh, I. Oh, she says it wrong. She says her own name wrong. It's Dilucente. You know, it's like. He goes, Dilucente. Music in it. There you go. Yeah, a little Godfather She's, music going on in the background. I love it. She's also a licensed um, BCBA works at Evidence-Based Classroom Solutions, um, and she strives to apply her expertise while working with school staff by coaching effective, which is important, um, hashtag effective, behavioral strategies within complex classroom environments within the public schools. So welcome to the show, Chad and Maria. Thanks. Thank this is really you. exciting. It's like a I'm dream so through. And, and so cool. Like your your whole setup is so much more evolved than our Zoom kind of kind of thing that we've been living the past year. So. You, we know you think, we, owe, we owe that all to Alan. This is not us. <laughs> this is Alan. <laughs> this is Alan. We just he just told us the mics to get that maybe cost seventy bucks. I'm not sure, and <laughs> yeah. we just show up. But hey, we show up. Well, that's kind of a big deal. Well, that, that's um, what the talent does. I mean, the talent just shows up, and you you do your thing, and you know he puts it together. So you guys got rocks. something rocking. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So I want to start with Chad. So Chad, tell us how kind of a, a little bit about yourself and how you started this. Um, and then we'll get into Maria. So yeah, my name's uh, Chad Honeycutt. I had kind of a weird progression to where, where I'm at right now. I, um, I was a engineer for a while for about 15 years wow. and always wanted to go into education. Engineering was a kind of a family business. And when I did, I just decided that, um, I needed to get some experience in the in the public school setting because schools, as you know, are kind of weird places. Um, it's a unique work environment, uh, especially coming from from the private sector. And I took a job in a self-contained classroom for uh, learners with significant disabilities. And I was really tasked to this one kid that was just really high aggression, autism, some you know issues at, at birth that had caused some substantial uh, cognitive deficits. And uh, I just found a, I found that it clicked with me, the way I thought, the way um, I dealt with things. And uh, so I, while I was working there, I worked on my degrees for special education and then uh, became a special education teacher, elementary education teacher, and then became a BCBA because it, it really quite quickly became apparent to me that ABA was, was kind of a, a catch-all solution for a lot of the struggles that happen in a, in a self-contained learning environment, but also just in school in general, right? Like all the behaviors that, that occur. So, um, and then I guess as far as EBCS, EBCS has been kind of this snowball that happened. I think you guys can probably relate to that too. You know, you start a little project and then all of a sudden you've got a producer and you know, you're showing up with cool microphones that cost 70 bucks. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, we, yeah, it's exactly the same. Perfect. You know, um, but no, we, I was working as a BCBA for a public school division and got contacted by a headhunter and she was looking for another school division uh, to have a BCBA kind of do contract work. And I, I was a little sly and found out who that was. And, and we reached out to that school division and 
Um, it's funny, I still have the the cell phone number of that headhunter on a sticky note, which is really what kind of started this whole whole company. I love um, and, and we just we contracted for a couple trainings. It was like this little ten thousand dollar contract, and then you know by the summer of that year, we we had multiple staff. We were in contracted for the next school year with multiple schools. And we really just kind of presented this model of, you know, we understand that BCBAs kind of have a bit of a reputation in the schools uh, as not be always playing nice and working well with others. And uh, you may have heard this, you may have not, Maria, I don't know if you've ever encountered this. You know, we we're, we tend to be viewed as a little arrogant sometimes in the way we, we approach things. Um, so I just we, want to say real quick, um, my first experience working in a school, I was consulted to come into this um, like elementary school. And it was like in the middle of nowhere in New Hampshire and probably an hour and a half drive. And I was so excited. And I like came into the classroom and I, they're, they're like, Oh, who are you? I'm like, Oh, I'm the, the BCBA that, you know, that's on the case. And I had the worst look ever given to me by that teacher. I was like literally shut down so hard in my, like my brand new BCBA. So excited. And I'm like, Oh my God, I guess it's the, it's the true that like, that is the reputation. And I had to like be yeah. the one that I was like, I'm going to change your, your attitude towards me. I'm going to get on the ground and like help you. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's like we pay for every misstep every other BCBA ever, ever took. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's, um, so what, what our mindset was, we all had this background in education and teaching and, and having classrooms. Well, what if all the BCBAs that were supporting the schools had that educational background and could we develop this, this concept of educational ABA. And I, I feel like we've gotten a lot of buy-in because when we go into a teacher's classroom, right, we know how much effort they put into designing a classroom that maybe a kid all of a sudden starts tearing apart. And we're able to kind of relate, relate to that and, and get a little bit more buy-in. But I think, you know, Maria, one thing that, that we've encountered for sure has been um, just recognizing some of those uh, kind of prohibitive factors of the school environment, right? You know, and sure. just going into the classroom. But uh, so, yeah, we we cranked up. And then, um, you know, two years later, we've survived an epide- a pandemic, um, which little public service announcement out there. If you're going to start a business, try not to do it during a pandemic. It's not a great time to uh, be a newly formed small business entity. <laughs> or in education um, at that right now. Yeah. Like, oh, education at all. But hey, there's lots of behavior to deal with with all these changes in the environment. Oh, that's right. You know, it's funny. I was I was talking to somebody our ROT last night, and I was saying I I really think next year we're going to be like those guys selling generators on the back of a truck after a hurricane, uh, because <laughs> you got all these kids coming back into school and they've never experienced school. I mean, I can't even imagine what first and grade and kindergarten is going to look like next year. So, but yeah, so when we when we started, we just looked at bringing in the right people and a diverse background. So one of our priorities was multidisciplinary uh, practice. You know, what were the established kind of practices in the schools, of course, speech, occupational therapy, school psychology. And um, we just really, as a, as a matter of principle, looked for BCBAs that had the right vibe and energy and, um, or that were on their way to becoming a BCBA and had that kind of experience in the schools and uh, could bring something uh, unique that one of us didn't have. And uh, that's kind of cue in Maria. My, my very first time ever having Thai food was the first time I met, met Maria. So um, 
yeah. I, I met her and just like, hey, <laughs> I don't have work for you, but I want to hire you. So. It's funny because I always tell people, they're like, how did you meet Chad? I'm like, oh, the internet, you know, like, but basically I. Not, was, not like that though. Not, not, like, that. not like Tinder or anything like that. It was, it was more like. <laughs> I'm like Craigslist or what? So uh, I went to ASU for my master's um, in ABA and I was paired up in a group one semester. I think it was like my second semester. And this girl named Katie was in my group and she happened to be from Lynchburg, Virginia. And I'm from Richmond, Virginia. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like, what are the odds? Somehow she is the only person that I stayed in touch with like the entire time throughout grad school. Like we would just hit each other up randomly. But one day she texted me and was like, hey, do you want to meet up, possibly talk with me and my boss, Chad? And I was like, sure. And I went there and we had Thai food. Um, and that the rest is history. You know, we all just really clicked. Um, we joke on chat a lot though, because he does have a type because at one point it was all girls, all with brown hair. So of course, I <laughs> this was not dog. intentional. I get a lot of flack for this. You dog, you. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's kind of funny, right? Like it's like the the educational environment too, especially the elementary. You know, it is a, a female dominated uh, workforce for sure. And if you go to any BCBA conference, I mean, I think I'm probably in the small ten percent of of BCBAs, uh, which is kind of kind of interesting. But it really. <laughs> It was funny. We were, we were at a SPED directors uh, kind of like organizational conference and a couple of the SPED directors that we have contracts with, they were standing at my table talking to me and they were looking at our, our staff and, and one of them goes, you know, Chad, you, you kind of have a type. I was like, no, 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 no. That sounds so bad. That sounds, my type is just really energetic and um, people that, that I can always learn from. And I, I think that's uh, really what, has made us successful as the staff that that we've created. Katie uh, Leifert, who's um, also one of the uh, owners of the company, she she's been with me uh, working with me for a while and in, um, in public school settings, and uh, I supervised her and and then we've got uh, so she kind of specialized in autism classrooms, and then um, Kate uh, Dorman, who also came up from the same school division we did, uh, she specialized in like just general ed sped resource. So not self-contained. So it was just a matter of finding the right people and the right uh, kind of people are going to think differently and and not just a bunch of puppets thinking all kind of the same same way and challenging each other. Uh, and then we created this this kind of cool thing. It creates some arguments sometimes, you know, like any family, but um, it's been really successful. Same. So, same. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing better than finding the right people to work with. I think I always talk about there's this one book called The Book of Awesome. And I have a copy of it. It's all things in life that are awesome. And I always am like looking at things that I would add to it. So like certain things are like peeling the sticky thing off your credit card or um, another one that I would add now would be, well, I'd also say a full tank of gas, but also like having someone to work with who you could just flow with. Like it is, it gives you reason every day and excitement for what you do. I think it's so important. Especially yeah, when I, you're looking at like BCBAs, a lot of people, I mean, it could be in anything, but obviously that's what we could all relate to. And it's not just the credential. No, it's not. And, and you know, it's funny. We, uh, one of our, actually he's our senior BCBA, uh, Dr. Ted Hoke. He, um, if you want to count numbers, he was 55th total BCBA, 55th BCBA period, first in the state of Virginia, 
Um, so he's coming pretty, on the show at some point. Yeah, we're, we're going to set up. Yeah, we're going to set up a connection for you. Oh, um, he'll crack you up. Uh, but you know, he says that when you when you pass the boards, and and this is true, when you pass the boards, it just means that you've met the bare minimum requirement to become a BCBA, right? So like everything you do after that, and the people you surround yourselves after that, and your your willingness to kind of continue to learn, is who what defines you as a behavior analyst and. Um, I think that's really true. And we've just created an environment where we think off each other and, you know, we have this kind of community of outside of the box thinkers. So when we, we come across situations that are challenging, uh, especially, you know, in the school, it's, it's constantly that way because we have to kind of rethink things. It's not very analog, you know, like we're working in a clinic and we can control all the variables. There's so many things out there in the schools that just make it difficult to practice. So Maria, I want you to talk a little bit about what you do um, yeah. and a little bit of your background. And then I want to jump back into, I think what we were, we were kind of getting into the barriers, right? Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. So I'm Maria uh, De Lucenti or De Lucente, as Chad will say. Um, I got into this field um, in college. I started working at a charter school. I'm in a classroom with um, young or I'd say older kids with intellectual disabilities, and I fell madly in love with the whole thing. I was just all about it. I st that's where I learned about behavior analysis. Um, I went off and I finished school, and then I really wasn't sure if I wanted to become a BCBA or an LCSW. I was kind of like going back and forth, and those are two very different things. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, still helping people, it's in that same category. I ended up working in a children's um, inpatient pediatric hospital, so like a children's psych unit. Um, loved that, but I think there is where I realized I want to be a BCBA, that like I want to be a part of that change and not the short-term change. Change I want to be there for the long-term. Um, and so I got, got back into school. I did um, my part of in-home um, and then I joined Evidence-Based Classroom Solutions, um, and I got my BCBA uh, license in June, thanks to all of you guys on here. I did study notes. Um, oh, you did? Oh, that's I awesome. Did. Yeah. Hey, my, my company's like a walking advertisement for you guys. It's so oh, good, good, good. You have to come do this. And then everybody signed up immediately. Up, and it was like right when you guys started doing just like the recordings um, and not the collective. And I was like, everybody has to do this now. It's the best thing. It's the greatest thing. Um, Aww, yay. Maria, thank yeah. you. Yeah, of course. I mean, for me, it helped me so, so much. And that was what I needed to feel confident and to go into the test and feel like a badass and, you know, to know that I'm going to be a behavioral bitch one day, like <laughs> yes. you guys, but yeah, so I got my license in June, which is really exciting. And now I'm here, um, or I have been here with evidence-based classroom solutions and I work in the Richmond area and I work in a few school systems, um, as a BCBA. Um, so yeah. Can I ask you a question, a personal one? Not like super personal, but yeah. all right. So what do you think that like made your difference between, well, I mean, there's a lot, but like, what do you notice between in-home and school? <laughs> oh, wow. uh, now, are you sure you want to open this can of worms? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> oh, okay. So I never wanted to do in-home at all. I always had a bad experience doing it, um, whether it was like safety or parents not being on board. 
um, or just like the living situations. Um, and being in somebody's home is really uncomfortable. Um, you're in their space. Um, you can't really control anything either. Um, so I always wanted to be in a place where there were other adults around or there were multiple, you know, things going on. I wasn't just stuck to this one client, but I think like within home, I couldn't ever really make that change as much as I like put my heart and soul into it. A lot of it does fall back onto the clients, um, the people around them, you know, and them wanting to help be a part of that. Like I can, you know, do my piece for two hours every day, but what happens after those two hours, you know, are they really implementing those things that I suggested? No, like, I mean, I'm sure there are some families that do, and that's awesome. I just never had that experience, maybe one time. Um, but yeah, I just, I'm more pro it like school, ABA, I think you can make such a huge difference. And think about all the time that kids spend at school. I feel like, you know, most of their life, at least from like four or five to 18, like we, like we were at school all that time. So I think it, you can have such a greater impact. Yeah. And I just want to say hats off to all the people providing in-home services because I did in-home for like, I don't know, eight years. And oh, wow. it is so yeah. hard um, in the situations that you have to deal with that family issues, family dynamics. I mean, it was a challenging, I loved it um, more than actually schools. Cause I only worked in schools for a very, very little bit. So I don't have a yeah. lot of experience, but I, I definitely know that like the challenges that come with in-home mm -hmm. are ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it's an important thing, right? Like, it, it certainly is very valuable. But I think one of the problems that's that's been created by it is first only niching autism and ABA together and not allowing access to ABA for other disability categories. I think that's been a, a injustice that's happened. But just also, you look at the money, the revenue that's generated for some of these companies doing in-home and, and just the quality of the, of the service. And you have such high turnaround. Um, and it's just, it's not regulated very well. So one of the things that we're constantly battling is the perception of ABA because in the schools, they see it as what it kind of manifests itself as in-home and not to say that every in-home uh, provider is like this, but a lot of in-home turns into babysitting. I mean, it just is, is a reality, you know? And, and we get backlash from that. So every time I was like reading emails yesterday, um, but we... I came across one email and it was when we first started in the school district and, you know, we have to like fight our way to get them to accept us. And because they have this perception of ABA already based on like, you know, text coming into the school or what they've seen from in-home. And, you know, we have to say like, no, like we do things differently. Like this is like, this is ABA. You just have to let us show you, like, let us prove to you. So it's a lot of times when we first start somewhere, it's like, you know, we have to bust our ass and prove ourselves um, to show that we're yeah, worth it. And, and it's really weird, right? Like, I mean, this a science kind of got cornered into being marketed as a therapy. You know, it's, it's this broad thing. And um, it, I, I always try to dispel that that idea that what we're doing is really a therapy. No, we're just, we're operating inside the scope of a science to, to teach skills, you know, and that's, I, I think a big part of what, what everybody's focus should be, but we can get really controversial in this co conversation. So. Yeah. No, I mean, I, like, I, I also like feel my blood boil a little when I talk about it because I've seen, and I mean, just 
because we come into contact with talking with so many people and I've seen it firsthand, whether I've worked somewhere or see my brother who has autism somewhere, I'm like, is this serious? You had said during our free talk, and this is a perfect quote for what we are talking about right now. You said, we want to use ABA principles to teach versus being associated with maladaptive behaviors all the time. So I love that. Yeah. And I, you know, especially in the schools, I mean, schools are designed, um, just kind of to be punitive in nature. And when you think about how they address behavior and, and just functional skills, uh, but even even beyond that, you know, I, again, I was an engineer for a while. So the usually the architects that design schools are also the architects that design prisons. And if you like put them on top of each other, they're laid out just the same way. You have these pods of kind of contained uh, things and just even geographically wow. the way the environment looks. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. You ought to kind of look into it some, but are you in a school right now? No, I'm in my office right now. Um, it's got, unfortunately, because that's those walls, those walls look like a PE gym wall, like a prison, like those yeah. big bricks. But, but yeah, I mean, think about that. That's kind of the environment that a lot of, a lot of kids are in, but yeah, what I think, you know, Maria talking about us kind of having to fight for our place and, um, try to establish a, you know, a mandate where, where we're at, uh, the first and foremost is that we're not the behavior police. We don't we stop talking about what the kid's doing wrong and start talking about what the kid's doing right. And ironically, that really turns some people off in the school divisions. You know, we have to really shape uh, that mindset that, yeah, we know the kid's doing this. Right. But what's going to prevent him from doing it is acquiring a skill where he doesn't have to do that anymore. And that's really where we we try to change the conversation a little bit and the focus. And I, I feel like if in-home were to do that as well, it would kind of shift that, that mindset as, as well too. So instead of looking at behavior reduction, more skill acquisition, you know. In the yeah, treatment I, package, you need both. You need something yeah. that's going to decrease the behavior, but also providing, you know, a functionally equivalent behavior. Yeah. You so. see it all the time. Well, working with adults, I was saying, I would just felt like I was constantly putting out fires like with every day. I was just like, I couldn't even get to the good stuff because <laughs> I was just like managing, like, please just don't like have these horrible self-interest behaviors in the community where you're like going to get the police called on you. So like, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you say that because we, we have all these, I'm famous for all these sayings in the company. Um, some have really hit on, some have not been so popular, <laughs> but well, one of the ones is like, what does it look like in 15 years? You know, we're, when we're dealing with a, a third grade student with these kind of really significant high magnitude behaviors, what does it look like for that kid in 15 years? And, um, you know, for, for some of the kids that we work with, it looks like them getting arrested or, or it, having an interaction with some type of authority figure. And um, just recently, there was a issue in the news where a, a kid was... Um, an older uh, secondary student was killed by a police officer, I think down in Louisiana, uh, because he was put into a resting position. The parents had called uh, as a child with autism or mm -hmm. older child with autism, and um, that's how the police responded. So, you know, it, it really is important that we try to deal with these things when they are a little bit more manageable, you know, size-wise. Uh, but like Maria said, the environment that these kids are in, the school, that's where they spend most of their time, and that's where they encounter most of these, these kind of challenges. So that create some of these behaviors. So are you guys doing more direct uh, intervention or dealing with like, they'll call you in and be like, listen, we have Bobby here and we do not know what to do. 
Bobby has been, you know, breaking out of school. We've had him escape this many times or you guys more. I mean, I'm sure if you're doing that, then you're working with teachers and whoever of other stakeholders. Are you working more with that or are you working more on like training the staff? Uh, I think the answer is yes, yes. Yeah. And yes, yes. yes. <laughs> it's like we what one of the one of the sayings that that wasn't really popular was uh, why not? Like my my mindset when we first started was, why not? You want us to do this? Why not? Well, why you know, not? We're getting involved in this. Yeah. why not? Which is funny because I've moved away from it, but now everybody's kind of in the company moving to it. I'm like, hey, Chad, you know, I got this call. Why not? Um. um so yeah, we we sorry, we get ahead. involved. Uh, we get involved in all of it. I mean, it just uh, our. Our thought process is that from a longevity standpoint, from a building capacity standpoint, it doesn't really do the school division a lot of good for us to come in and deal with the student. Right. What we want to try to do is leave a footprint. So what makes us unique, though, in the way we deal with that is that we model. So we'll get down, work with the student, talk and a lot of behavior skills training type stuff uh, with with the teachers and the IAs. Um, so we'll model it, jump out, let them jump in, kind of coach them through it, provide coaching reports. But uh, certainly training is also a huge part. We've we've been uh, we've got some really good characters in the company. So we've been able to develop a lot of really good content and and have a lot of success with with our trainings. But I think on top of what you're saying, Chad, is like. So, Liat, like you're talking about how like they call and say that there's like these two high flying students or whatever. I might go in and I, we all have our own different ways of doing things, um, but I might go in and depending on that behavior, um, if it's pretty extreme, I might kind of deal with it first to try to calm down because maybe the teacher isn't trained in like, um, you know, you know, a de-escalation um, technique or they don't feel comfortable jumping in or it's just truly unsafe, unsafe. So I might jump in, kind of handle that. And then afterwards, I might talk with the teacher. Hey, this is what I did. So let's talk about, you know, like differential reinforcement. I won't use that language, but I'll explain it to her in, you know, those simpler words for her. And then we'll run through it again or I'll try to create opportunity for that to happen again. So I can teach the teacher how to do it in that moment when the behavior isn't as um, like high in magnitude or isn't as intense, if that makes sense. Totally. Yeah, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. And and really kind of emphasizing that, you know, we, we come into a classroom, a lot of times it is, and I think this kind of answers your question, it is specifically because there's a student that's bringing us into that classroom, right? But nine times out of 10, while that student does have behavior, there is something about that environment. There's something about, you know, how the adults that are interacting with the behavior that's increasing the problem of the behavior and, and increasing the magnitude of the behavior. So if we don't kind of work within the environmental system of the classroom and just target that one kid, we're really not going to get get very far. So and most- the changes can be bigger a lot also, like beyond that kid. You're like, yeah. whoa, honey, it's not just this kid. Let me tell you, I know you're focusing on this kid just because he happens to be jumping out windows. But this is your yeah. entire class. Like Absolutely. you have no stimulus control over anyone. Everyone thinks you're annoying. Even I do. You know, since I've gone into classrooms <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, well, no shit. <laughs> yeah. And, we, and, we, and that's always the tr- the tricky thing, right? Trying to pair yourself with the teacher, you know, just like you would with the, the student. And we probably spend more time doing ABA with staff and like working yes. on it with staff than we actually do with the kids because it has a broader reach. Right. Um, 
But also but it just buy-in. Like they yeah. have to believe in it. Like, you know, it's like you're coming into my classroom and sometimes, you know, I'm an, I talked about how I'm a new BCBA. You know, who is this 28-year... 28 year old little girl coming in when I've been a teacher for 20 years telling me what to do. Like I can see it from their point of view, like what? No, I'm not listening to this girl. So it's once again, trying to, you know, pair, connect, make that relationship, but also show them like, Hey, this will work. We just got to put in a little extra time and it will pay off. You know, right now it seems like a lot of work that we're trying to put into fixing this situation, but in the end, you know, it's going to be so worth it. It's like we're on yeah. the same team. I think that's right. huge that we're on the same team. And the thing is, the go-to response is, I hate you. You're annoying. You're coming in my classroom. You're telling me what to do. You're not dealing with it on a daily basis. Like, it's it's fun for you to come in, give me this, behaviors, uh, this behavior yeah. program that I should be doing. And you're going to use these big words. And you think you're smarter than me. And I've actually been running a classroom this long. And I think it's beyond, obviously, pairing with the clients a lot easier. I think, per, or like the, the individual, the clients, everyone, guys, if you're studying for your test, it's the right. the school, the teacher, the the, the individual themselves, the parents. Aid. But that, yeah, that could be easier. I mean, an iPad goes really far, but, <laughs> and so does candy. Um, but it's not just pairing with the stakeholders who you're going to need buy-in from because you can't be there forever, but it's also repairing because you're repairing the previous connections they've made to ABA. Yeah. And also to the students. So that's, that's a really good point. And we're, we're working with a student right now who just kind of has everything going against them. Um, significant learning dis or, uh, cognitive disability, um, wheelchair bound, blind, you know, so many things kind of going against them. And I've been able to go in there and establish some programming for, for him to, to be successful. And why go in and run these centers, it works. Boom, boom, boom. No, no problem. Right. But then I'll step back and, and they'll jump in and they're kind of struggling with it. And one of the things that can't be discounted is this learning history that before we've come in that that student has. So he has a learning history of reinforcement for the wrong behavior with the staff. And it's, it's always, you know, we really have to remind the staff that this is a process. It's not going to be uh, something that just, just, gets fixed. You know, it's a, it's a slow change and it involves change on your part and on our part. And, you know, when you think about the educational system, it's really archaic, right? There hasn't been major shifts in education and even special education in, in a long time in the way we address things. So getting teachers like Maria said to buy into kind of changing the way they're, they're doing certain things. And, you know, I, Maria and I, discuss whether or not I should, should bring this up. And I, I do think it's really important. Yeah, because it's it really kind of speaks to some of the challenges. Um, I have this amazing staff of uh, w women that badass are just women. Yeah, I mean, badass women. Yeah, and just incredible thinking. Badass um, bitches. Come on. Yeah, Give them some credit. Give them some credit. Like Maria, Katie, they can walk into a classroom and speak to a, a female teacher rattle off all this stuff that's 100% right. And then I say it, and then all of a sudden it has validity, you know, and it, it's just, it's it's a really strange dynamic for me, like ha having to try to figure that out because it it's almost like they're discounted by other women because they're women sometimes in the, in the educational system. Mm -hmm. um, and they're just constantly trying to have to um, establish themselves in, in that relationship. And uh, one of the things that, 
that I've had to do um, is kind of pull myself away and not be as present in some of these situations so that they have that kind of authority because everything that they're saying is right. You know, it's just, it's, it's weird kind of institutionally. You have a whole podcast on this, on the behavior of how yeah, people right. interact with each other, you know, between the sexes and stuff. But um, it is, it is a really interesting uh, dynamic that they have to, to deal with. And then, um, you know, when they come across male teachers, there's always a weirdness there and it's just a constant learning process and, and curve. And, um, we try, you know, try to do our best with it. It's been a learning curve for me as a, you know, just as a manager, um, having yeah. to work. And my son, who you, who you mentioned, he's now an RBT with the company. Mm-hmm. And I, I was talking to uh, Kate and Katie the other day, and just about how cool it is that he gets to work under the direct supervision of these really amazing women and learn how to communicate. Because certainly growing up, that's not something I learned, um, it, you know, my my professional careers, and it it's different. So it's just something that uh, is an important thing to take into account in the whole process. But. Yeah, your son is lucky. I mean, having like, when I was an RBT, I only had the only BCBA who was my supervisor, but she was, you know, a BCBA D. And it was more of like, just, you know, biweekly check-ins with this, the clinic, there was no BCBAs at the clinic. Um, so I really just had to like self-teach myself everything. And one thing I had always, you know, told, I tell my students this too, like, when you pass the exam, you've just passed the exam, literally, you've just been born and you need to go find a place that's going to support you and give you the opportunity to work with other BCBAs. Like you're like, I'm going to start my own company right away. It's like, you know, please go get some experience. Please go get it's some crazy. Yeah. yeah. So I think all the so clinical important. directors out there that are, you know, 20, 24, 25 years old, just got their BCBA, but there's such a high demand for, uh, for BCBAs. And I think it's something the board's always struggled with, you know, trying to uh, fill enough people without, lowering the rigor of the uh, qualification process. Leah, we're trying to fill that gap. We are trying to fill that effing gap. Did you get supervised while you were teaching? So no, mine wasn't when I was teaching. I had okay. it after. And, you know, one of the most common things we get is students telling us like, oh my God, my supervision sucked. And the sad thing, like last night, actually in the collective was collective 19, which is our supervision class. And we get the same comments every time we're teaching. And I'm like, it's really sad that only on your second to last class of the collective, are you actually learning what should be included in supervision? Like, I think people need to know before they even start their supervision process, what to expect, because no one's held to that standard. And I always tell people, they're like, mine was the worst. Like now that I hear about what it's actually supposed to be included, I know mine was the worst. And I'm like, and I always say this, I'm like, please don't feel special. Yeah. Don't feel special. You're not the only one. I know you think this is a, this movie's about you, but it's about <laughs> so many people and it's really sad. Yeah, but, I think it's something we need to do better as a, as a professional community for sure. And I, think, and I think for me, I was so eager to learn and like get all the, you know, be prepared for my exam and like, you know, I didn't understand like this whole piece I was missing because I was doing in-home and I worked for a company that had one BCBA to like 30 techs and like the quality of, and I don't blame that supervisor at all one bit, like love her, but like it's the company's fault. Like you, 
how can she give me that attention that I need or that, you know, that quality supervision when she's being pulled by like 400 other people. And I, I wish for anybody else that they have a better experience or that in the future I can do better, we can do better to kind of make up for that. Yeah. I mean, supervision done right. It, I mean, it, it takes a lot of time and effort and, um, you know, I, that's the thing. That's really the thing because of the competing contingencies, like companies need you to bail, mm-hmm. right. To stay open. Like, and that's where your livelihood comes from. So matching law, it's like, do I stay extra and go over these extra procedures that, you know, or do I do this? And it's really hard. But the question that I want to come back to, because I know Casey had said, we're going to come to it is barriers. I want to know what barriers you guys deal with um, in a classroom, working in schools. Um, Maybe you could give us some examples um, because everyone loves a good example. I know that from teaching study notes. So can you give us some examples of what barriers you guys come into? Yeah. I mean, I think first and foremost is just the... um, you know, we, t- we kind of talk about the perspective ABA and, and moving yeah. past that, but the fads that emerge in special education, um, sensory integration, rapid prompting method, you know, all these things that we can't support because they're not evidence-based, uh, but they, they make their ways into IEPs. Um, and I, I think that probably the biggest barrier uh, that I could speak to, I know, Maria, you, you ran into this a lot uh, last year in one of the school divisions you were in, was just students being presented with material that's and expectations that's not developmentally or functionally appropriate and a mm-hmm. lack of understanding of where that, that student is. And that's creating the behavior, you know, um, and the, and the school divisions, you know, they have their scope and sequence and their, and their pace and everything. And, but at the end of the day, sometimes we come in there and we're like, look, we can get this to an instructional baseline, but this kid that you're, you're trying to get to read right now, is effectively an 18 month old. And we're, we're not doing him a service by continually presenting this stuff and kind of faking it a little bit in the way we're showing, you know, permanent product and, and things. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're really better serving the the student and the classroom as a whole if we meet them at their at their level. And I think that's one of the biggest barriers that, that I see. What about you, Maria? What do you think? Um, I have a couple points. I don't have to like delve into all of them, but like, obviously the most obvious, I'm sure this has been said on many other podcasts, um, ABA being exclusively for autism. That's not true at all. I like last year, um, was kind of my first, first year with EBCS. Um, and I had the most success in these ED classrooms and like, I got so much joy out of that because like I used to work in a mental hospital and like I have like such a strong connection to that. And so to see me use finally get to use um, the science that I love and apply it to this whole new classroom, to this new population, and then to see it work was just incredible to me. I had so I'm not a very like I don't. Uh, like boost myself up a lot but I was like I did that like that classroom is like rocking now and like I was able to use like my science and like it's just a great feeling so obviously we hear about that a lot um or that ABA is only for one-to-one instruction because you think of those discrete trials and all that jazz and that all we do is uh DTT or shaping and it's like no we do a lot of things like it's not just this um 
I just I got to emphasize how well Maria did with that classroom. I and mean, she went into an environment that was really, really just closed off to her kind of uh, as far as taking input and just stayed with it, stayed with it. And and one of the things that we've we've kind of emphasized as a company is we want the accountability. And she she stood in there and said, I want accountability for this. And that really, really got that buy-in from from the teacher and the staff. And it was was an amazing change that took place. And it just didn't happen with one kid in that classroom. It happened with the staff, mm-hmm. um, which I think is probably the biggest barrier of all, the number of adults that get thrown into special education classrooms. Uh, we work in a lot of school divisions where kids have one-to-ones. And that's just so beyond <laughs> Maria's face. I love it. <laughs> I know. Uh, just, it's prohibitive for generalization, right? And it's prohibitive for, you know, teaching spontaneous behavior because you get the situation where this adult is always doing for the kids. So you've missed these contrived opportunities that could have been learning opportunities. Um, and that is is really challenging, creating kind of that rational detachment uh, from some of the support staff is is a big barrier. So. Yeah, like I went to a classroom last year and I'm not even joking, there were I think nine kids and seven staff alone. And yeah, insane. Like, why does every kid need a one-to-one? Like, what? No. Like, what's happening? And then I came in there and then there's 14 people in the room and it's like, oh, like nobody can breathe and this is uncomfortable. So it's just like, do we really need like this many staff? Like, are we setting them up to be successful in the future? Not really if we're putting somebody next to them that's basically their shadow and kind of doing everything for the student versus teaching them because those sometimes um, those one-to-ones are contracted too and they don't work for the school. They work for an agency outside and so they don't have that relationship with the teacher either. And so then that makes it even more complicated. It's like everybody's like in their own corner but they're all there for the kid. They're just not always on the same page. Yeah. And and I think the home run of the barriers is the all the unintentional reinforcement that happens for problem behavior in the school. Um, The the escape, you know, being being taken out of a classroom because uh, or um, clearing a classroom and all of a sudden this child has one to one attention from an adult, you know, and trying to into this one situation. It's like, no, go away. Stop. So one of our big kind of hurdles has been, I don't know if in your areas you've, you've dealt with therapeutic day treatment, um, which is this kind of thing where kind of train people come into the schools and, and work kind of on a one-to-one basis off of Medicaid with, with students. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times the, the teacher's behavior gets reinforced of getting rid of the student. So the, the kid refuses to do their work in the classroom, right? And they start tearing up or they flip over a desk. The teacher calls the therapeutic day treatment person, they come in, they take the kid down and play a game and give them a bag of chips. So the next time that the teacher's having that problem with the kid, they call, you know, and and the kids removed from their classroom. So there's this kind of negative reinforcement that happens there. But for the, for the kid, oh, well, I know how to get what I want. You know, if I don't want to do something, it's, it's pretty simple. Mm -hmm. It's not, I don't think it's a a malicious thing or an intentional thing that anyone does in the, in the school. I just think it's, having the opportunity to kind of stand back and look at the overall uh, landscape of what's what's occurring in the classroom and in the setting. Um, and we, we kind of have that luxury and and we think that way. So. So what about let's before we wrap up, I want to get into 
uh, outlook for ABA in the schools. Mm. What do you guys, what do you feel about that? It's, it's common. Um, you know, one, of, one of the things that I, uh, I tell SPED directors is, is my pitch is like, you know, it's, it's not a matter of if ABA is going to be totally embedded in the schools. It's a matter of when. And also the schools have to decide if they're going to determine what that's going to look like or if it's going to be the parents and the lawyers. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's a lot more beneficial for the schools to be proactive with it. You know, there's been some really big legislative um, issues that have come up, but also Supreme Court rulings. You know, there's that one out in Colorado, I, I think about five or six years that basically said school divisions have to provide this or pay to provide it if they can't in a private setting. Um, yeah. But again, that was only kind of latched to autism. So I, I think that, you know, we're starting to see an increase in openness to consult. Um, we actually have one IEP and it's the only one that I really know of in the entire country. I mean, there might be another one. I'm not, not that wired into things, mm -hmm. but it actually has in a public school setting, direct ABA services written into it. Wow. Which is, yeah, it's weird, right? Like I, I told the parents and I'm not really crazy about it because again, I, I think we're better served working with the, the class and the teacher rather than the student in the school setting. But that kind of gives you an indication of where things are going and what, what does that look like? You know, certainly staffing, um, BCBAs is difficult. So one of the things that we've done as a company to try to try to meet that demand is we've established our own RBT training that specifically nice. is designed for individuals working in the public school setting. And all the examples kind of throughout the coursework are what's happening in the classroom, what's happening on the playground, what's happening uh, so that it's very relatable to an instructional assistant or to a to a teacher. And I think that's how the schools bring it in. I think they bring it in responsibly with well-trained RBTs that are appropriately supervised. That's so important. Well-trained RBTs, the people that are on the front lines doing the dirty work, they need to be supported and they need to be well-trained. And can and I throw a little plug in for our training? So is that plug okay? it up. I'm plug gonna it up, plug Jen. it away. This is your time. This is your plug time. If, if anyone's interested in that, it's uh, www.ebcsus.com, and that will get you to it. And one of the things that makes it unique is that it's actually interactive. So you have access to our staff to ask questions to uh, throughout the training. Um, and again, it's uh, we designed it kind of almost like a podcast where it would listen as well as it watches. Um, so we have a lot of people that tell us they download it and they'll listen to it on the way to work and things. Uh, so it's, it's pretty, pretty useful. So I'm just looking in our show notes to make sure I have it right. Is it, is it your website? Like EBC, ebclassroomsolutions.com, right? Yeah. Both will get you there. Uh, we have, okay. uh, when we first started the company again, like all the trials and errors of, of starting the company, uh, I designed my own website, which nobody liked. Oh, <laughs> And I, and I got this domain, it was ebclassroomsolutions.com, which does not fit on a sticky note when you're trying to write it down. So uh, we eventually shifted it over and hired a, a marketing team to, to, to redo our website, much to much to the company's uh, great joy. So I got a lot of flack about that. Trust me. Yeah. Websites are the What was I telling you yesterday, Casey? What did I tell you yesterday about websites? You're like, I now judge people based off their website. With all the website work we've had to do for Study Notes AVA and Behavior Bitches, it's like so much work and we've been through so many developers and just like, it's still our no, behavior. But I actually meant it so more in a better way. I meant like now I have, like I judge people with more respect because I like, if they have a good website, I'm like, 
dude, I know what goes into that. Like, so I now used to I'm be like, paranoid. Uh, do we have a good website? I mean, I don't know. We do. I haven't, you're, you're lucky I didn't do my back research. Like, Casey, I'll have to analyze we, it after. We actually, we, we hooked up with a, a great um, kind of small business out of Richmond area. And they, they've done an amazing job, not just with that, but with, with marketing. And, you know, one of the byproducts of COVID was we knew we were kind of unique in Virginia uh, as far as the services that we were providing. But as we started kind of having a social media presence, we found out that we were unique nationwide and we started generating contracts um, across the country and we even have some internationally. So it's, you know, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool thing. Just riding the. <laughs> your team looks amazing. I mean, I've been checking out the website, all your team. I love it. Um, thank you guys so much for coming yeah, on to chat. You are awesome. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. I had fun too. And I'm sure this is going to help a lot of people who are wondering the differences again, between working in a clinic versus working in a school, or if you're working in a school, um, there's obviously other challenges and barriers that come with it. Well, this is really in any setting you work in. So again, don't feel special. You'll have barriers everywhere. Yeah, this is my new line. I say, don't feel special, don't feel special, but you should feel special. But um, thank you so, so, so much. I really appreciate you guys coming on. Oh, we appreciate your time. It was well, a lot of fun. You. This is so much fun. You guys rock. I love the energy. Yeah, I, I feel like you, I, I could tell that you guys have a great energy and place to work, which is really nice to see because burnout's real. Oh, yeah, for sure. I love this job more than anything. And like, I never second, like, guess myself. It's, I'm meant, I'm where I'm, I need to be. Well, it's Chad, if you ever want to expand to New Hampshire, here I am. <laughs> I, I would love to expand to New Hampshire. Just uh, like set up, come up there this summer. So maybe, maybe we can. Well, um, ex excuse me, Casey. Are you like trying to leave me on the spot? <laughs> uh, well, Chad, I will say if you're coming up to New Hampshire, um, my husband and I just bought um, a new boat and we live on the uh, the river. It goes out to the Piscataqua and we could go on a boat trip. So if you are oh, you married, I, do you have a wife? I do. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to come on out for a boat trip, let me know. That would be fantastic. Love to. We can go fishing. I'm happy you have a wife. If you didn't, she wouldn't have invited you. <laughs> so it was like a pre-qualification. Yeah, it had to be. My husband and Leah, like you're in Texas, right? Uh-huh. So I'm we've got what's going on in Texas right now, too. So maybe we'll, uh, we've, we're doing some training for RBTs and some um, initial competencies yeah. down there. So Holla, I'm here. All right. Sounds good. I'm All not right. leaving my house anytime <laughs> soon. So... <laughs> I won't take you on a river, but I'll wave you through my window. That'll be fine. That'll be fine. You just got to put a handprint up. You know, it's... <laughs> That's exactly it. I'm so immunocompromised. But hey, I got the vaccine. All right, guys, okay. that is our cue. Thank you guys for tuning in. You know where to find us. You could find us on Instagram at Behavior Bitches Podcast, on Facebook at Behavior Bitches Podcast, on our website, behaviorbitches.com or you could support us on Patreon on patreon.com slash behavior bitches podcast. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, love ya. Mean it. Hey guys, it's Liat and Casey. We just want to take a second to let you know that if you're thinking of being a millennial like us and starting your own podcast, there is a way. You can do your show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard. Because guess what? We don't know shit with that. But we have Alan at Pretty Easy Podcast who help us 
Get Started. He records our shows, he posts them, he adds awesome, awesome music and cool shit when we don't even know what he's doing. He sends us teaser episodes. He does it all. We just sit here and friggin' talk. We shoot the shit and you can record from home, your office, the park, a bathroom stall at work. It doesn't matter. He provides the complete podcast studio. All you need is a microphone and you're good. Alan caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. He has been super flexible with our schedule. Whenever we need him, we go to Google Calendar. We just book him and he does all the hard work. It's like so incredibly easy. That's why it's probably called Pretty Easy Podcast. So be heard and have some fun podcasting like us. Go to prettyeasypodcast.com today. 